0: Well, as I, I've been telling our home church, so we were going to teach on the virgin birth because that is part of the Christmas story is that a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God is with us. And I must say I've never studied the virgin birth much. I, I like to think I have a pretty simple faith, which if the Bible says Jesus is born of a virgin, I can handle that. No problem to that for me. I, I believe in a God that spoke the world into existence. I believe in a God that died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Why is it such a difficult thing to accept the fact that God might conceive himself in a virgin's womb and bring forth a son shrouded in flesh to be our redeemer? So to me, it's never been a problem, but apparently the devil hates this doctrine and he uses his academics and his heretics and his apostates to try to undermine it. So I have some notes I've put together doing some deep theology, but I'm going to try to make it a little bit more palatable for us. But for me as a a minister and a gospel teacher, if I'm going to confront a heresy, I'm not going to go tit for tat. I'm going to see your heresy with a scriptural atomic weapon and just slam dunk. Why beat you by four or five points when I can run the score up and have the highest score ever? So we're going to put to rest any ignorance ever concerning the virgin birth tonight. Why not? We're here to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and critical to that is the virgin birth. There are several non-negotiable doctrines required to being a Christian. These are doctrines that if you don't believe, you're not a Christian. And we, uh, we've often asked the question, how many of our critical doctrines can a person denounce before they cease to be a Christian in the eyes of God? And these are in no particular order, but some of these include Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. The atonement through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you don't believe in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, you're not a Christian. And salvation by faith alone, not of works lest any man should, uh, should boast. We're born again by faith in Christ alone. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. The divine inspiration and infallibility of the Word of God. If you don't believe this Bible is the infallible Word of God, everything else you believe is suspect. And then the Trinity... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Three in one, a divine mystery that we explain as best we can. If you don't believe in that, we really start to question everything else. But then that also brings us to the virgin birth. And if you don't believe in the virgin birth, this is a non-negotiable. You cannot say you are a Christian. The virgin birth is so critical to our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to teach this tonight so we can understand how and why that is so critical. The denial of the virgin birth involves either a denial of the purity of Mary at conception or it involves a denial of the truthfulness of Matthew and Luke's narrative. So if you deny the virgin birth, you deny the gospel. You deny the validity of the scriptures. You're calling the Bible a book of lies. Though it's always suffered various attacks from apostates, heretics, and mockers, the virgin birth is a non-negotiable doctrine that has been held by the church from the very beginning. Even the founding fathers held to the virgin birth. Contemporary teachers who deny the virgin birth present a gospel, or we'd call it another gospel, that the apostles would not have recognized and the scriptures refute vehemently. So this thing's critical to us. And again, you're church folks, so I'm preaching to the choir, but we need to make sure our doctrine is fortified and shored up because we're living in a day where people are trying to pick apart the gospel from every angle possible. The Apostles' Creed, which was established about the 2nd century, part of it says of Jesus Christ, He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You're talking about a nearly 2,000-year-old church creed that they said and believed that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The early church believed in the virgin birth. It took the Enlightenment period to come up with foolishness. that says, well, Jesus was a man, but He wasn't born of a virgin. The Nicene Creed, which was further established in the 4th century, said this. It's a little lengthy, but it's worth reading. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him are all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the holy spirit and the virgin mary and was made human fourth century they're declaring he was born of the virgin mary and then there's the famous westminster catechism which is what the british developed and they said christ the son of god became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance and born of her yet without sin. These are creeds and doctrines of the church throughout history. And so we see that everybody who has served Jesus Christ has established this as a core doctrine. The Old Testament helps us build a progressive revelation of the virgin birth. So it's not something that was just made up and taught to you in the Baptist Sunday School. The virgin birth has been a doctrine from Genesis. Amen. We know the prophecy from Genesis chapter three, and you don't have to turn there, but if you can, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to. We'll read a few scriptures. Genesis chapter three, as I teach you on the virgin birth this Christmas Eve, because as of tomorrow, we celebrate the birth of Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. She would, we celebrate her, the Lord's birth tomorrow, though we know it would have been in the springtime or the fall, depending on the Jewish calendar. Uh, we have to celebrate it at some point. So we have received this tradition coming from ancient Rome. Somebody said, Pastor, don't you know the pagans celebrated something on December 25th? And I said, Young man, pagans celebrate something every day of the year. If we can't celebrate something that has a common date with a pagan, we can't celebrate anything. Uh, my birthday's August 29th. I'm sure some pagan celebrates something on my birthday. He's not going to rob me of my birthday. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord prophesied after the fall and said, I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and between her seed, and her seed shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Even in the garden, this prophecy began to build steam that of a woman, not of a man, of a woman would come a seed that would bruise the head of the serpent. We know this is the beginning of a prophecy that would be fulfilled two thousand years ago with the Virgin Mary. In Genesis chapter two, verses fifteen through eighteen, the Lord told Abraham, And through thy seed, he being a descendant of, of uh, Adam and Eve, through Abraham's seed would all nations be blessed. And we know that's and uh, Galatians goes on to say, and to thy seed which is one, and Paul gives the interpretation to your seed which is Christ. So we see there a link in theology between the seed prophesied in Genesis 3, mentioned again in Genesis 22, and then confirmed by Paul in Galatians that the seed would be through Abraham from Eve, and his name is Christ. He is the seed prophesied of from the very beginning of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 7 is the famous verse. This is the one that's often picked apart by apostates, heretics, scoffers, mockers, doubters, and pagans due to just gross negligence and ignorance. Isaiah chapter 7 is a prophecy that brings things into greater fulfillment or greater uh, clarity. Verse 14, the prophet Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Notice that a thousand years before Christ... A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God is with us. Now, the only argument any heretic has against a virgin shall conceive is to make the argument well, the word is damsel. But this is a word that in every biblical usage applies to a virgin, a young woman who has not yet been married, who is now of age to be married. Every usage is in application to a woman who's never been married but is ready to be married. She's of age, which also speaks of Mary. She had never known a man. She was now of age. When we meet her in the Bible narrative, she's espoused or engaged to Joseph. There's no way around this prophesied a thousand years before Christ was that a virgin would conceive a miraculous sign given that a virgin would give birth to a son whose name by interpretation would mean God is with us and then Isaiah chapter 9 we see Isaiah seeing a little bit further by the Spirit of God for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given verse 6 And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We see Isaiah prophesy a little further that this child shall be born, and his names are expanded to explain to us exactly what God is going to do through this virgin birth. Amen. Then Matthew chapter 1, we see the fulfillment. And again, we're answering the question uh, or teaching the doctrine of the virgin birth because this is a non-negotiable doctrine. And as I said, it's not difficult to believe in this. If we believe in a God that created the galaxies and created the heavens and the earth and breathed into a, a, a pile of dirt and made man, if we believe in a God that could raise a man from the dead, if we believe in a savior that can walk the earth and do miracles, what is it if, if he conceives a baby by his own power in a virgin? Why is that so difficult? Why is that under such an attack by academics, liberal theologians, and just fools? I don't get it, but it por- apparently it's important because the devil does attack this doctrine. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, which is code for intimacy. We do have little children in here. We don't want your Christmas Eve to be a bumblebee talk before you need a bumblebee talk. (laughs) Thanks, Pastor. Christmas Eve was a lot more complicated than it needed to be. Before they came together, all the adults get what we're talking about. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Ghost, not of man, of the Holy Ghost. If we doubt, if we doubt the virgin birth, we call into question Matthew's validity. We call into question Matthew's truthfulness, accuracy. And if we start to pull threads there, where will we stop? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just and upright man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Joseph said, this isn't mine, because I know what I do, and that isn't what I did. But the angels, knowing his heart by the, by the commandment of the throne of God, said this is of the Holy Ghost. We have so many scriptures to build this doctrine. This is of the Holy Ghost. This is not of man. Luke chapter 1. These are the only two gospels that give us the account of the virgin birth. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm sorry I even have to deal with some of this because America is pioneering new levels of ignorance and apostasy. The latest thing to have heard out of our new national movement, hashtag Me Too, was that the virgin birth violated the Me Too movement because God never got consent from Mary. It takes an academic to teach that kind of foolishness. But let's see what the Bible actually says because before they speak, God already said, Shh! Verse 26 And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. How many witnesses do we have now of a virgin? espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Twice now she's called a virgin. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. Not yet, but you will. Hasn't happened yet. You will bring forth the Son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's prophesying and in accordance with Isaiah 9. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be seeing I know not a man? She's testifying. I know not a man. So there's our third witness in Luke alone. She has never known a man. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. That sounds like consent. (laughs) Here am I, do unto me as thou seest fit. Behold, I am your servant, be it unto me according to thy word. Before the fools in the highest academic realms of the world can open up their ignorance, the scripture has already laid them to silence. God did not get consent. The fool never read his Bible because she said, how will this be? Hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. Okay. Be it unto me even as thou hast spoken. Amen. And then Galatians 4.4 that says that God sent forth his Son in the fullness of time. Galatians 4.4 God sent forth his son, made of a woman, not made by a man, made under the law. So, I wanted to give you uh, the, the several passages that we build our doctrine of the virgin birth on, because it really is a miraculous thing. We're excited about the birth that we celebrate tomorrow on Christmas Day, but remember, nine months before the birth, maybe even 10 months, the angel was having to prepare Joseph and Mary and, and get everything ready. And such a thing had been prophesied a thousand years prior. A very tremendous event. And this is critical. The virgin birth is so critical for our salvation. Seven problems arise if Jesus were born to a natural father. I'll give those to you quickly. Number one, if he was born from a father, not father God, but natural biology, he would have inherited the sin nature from the human race. And his redemption would not have been substitutionary. He would have been mere man. We would be dead in our sins. If Jesus was born to a natural father or conceived by a natural father, he could not have been the last Adam. Contrasted against the first Adam. Both Adams having the same biological genesis. That is, a body born without a sin nature. The only way Jesus could be the last Adam that the New Testament says he is over and over again was for him to be just like the first Adam, which was a man without a sin nature, but a biology that had to learn to obey God. Number three, if Jesus was conceived by a man, he would have been finite and a mere religious zealot. The denial of the virgin birth is the denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. And that lets you know why the enemy attacks the virgin birth, because to deny it is to say Christ is a mere man. Now, 1 John tells us very early, 1 John was written right at the turn of the first century, just about 60 years after Christ's ascension. 1 John says, Who is an antichrist and a deceiver? But he that denies Christ has come in the flesh. A denial of virgin birth is an antichrist and a deceiver. And the Bible says we're to try those spirits. Number four, if Jesus had been conceived by a man, he would have not been the begotten of the Father. He would have been the begotten of Joseph. And the Bible is very clear. He was begotten of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Begotten speaking to the virgin birth, not the creation of Jesus. He always was. He is God. Fifth problem we have if Jesus was conceived of man, we have an unreliable Bible. If we can't trust this doctrine, we can't trust anything. And therefore Isaiah, Matthew, Luke, and Galatians have now been called into suspect among all the other scriptures that speak of the last Adam and the virgin birth and our salvation. Number six, we would have to reject every miraculous aspect of Christianity. And I ask, what is so hard to believe about God the eternal creator of all things, forming for himself a body in the womb of one of his creations. He made the woman. He made the womb. He made the reproductive system. What is it if he forms himself in that? This is but a small thing. And even the angel told a little 14-year-old Jewish girl, with God all things are possible. She said, okay. Not a problem. What's so difficult about this? (laughs) And the seventh problem, if there is no virgin birth... Jesus would have been at best only a spiritual genius with uncanny religious insight and not the prophesied Lamb of God who would fulfill all Old Testament types, shadows, and sacrifices. And if he, there is no virgin birth, we're still dead in our sins because no singular man has come along and fulfilled everything like Jesus Christ of Nazareth did. So foolish to the The liberal theologian, the liberal professor is that they still believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They just don't believe he was divine. How could a man be and not be divine having fulfilled every scripture? Hanging on the cross, obeying so many messianic psalms and not giving up the ghost until he tasted of the vinegar and having seen all scripture concerning him fulfilled. How can that not be divine? So now I have as a final point Four gospel proofs, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and therefore lacked the sin nature. Throughout the gospels, we don't just have two witnesses of Matthew, of Luke, of Jesus being born of a virgin. We see the fruit of it, the evidence of it, hidden in the details of the life of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the most important thing for us in our salvation that Jesus was born of a virgin is that it ensured that he had no sin nature And in having no sin nature, he could take sin upon himself at the cross and be our propitiation, our substitution, fulfilling the mosaic type and shadow of the the scapegoat, the lamb, where the sins were rubbed upon the lamb and the lamb was sacrificed as an atoning work for the sins of the people. If Jesus was born of a virgin, then we should see evidence that he was sinless throughout his earthly ministry. And if you look for it, you easily see this evidence. So the first gospel proof, Christ was born of a virgin, Jesus never offered a sin sacrifice for himself. He went to the temple all the time and never sacrificed once. Why? He never sinned. You cannot do that except you're sinless. You can't not sin except you're born of a virgin. Number two, Jesus never prayed for forgiveness. He was always saying, Father, forgive them. He was always pardoning and forgiving sins. Even the Pharisees said, what manner of man is this? Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus said, exactly. Your sins be forgiven. (laughs) He prayed to forgive others, but he never asked for forgiveness himself. Now, he's either an arrogant zealot, or he is who our Bible says he is. Number three proof, he was born of a virgin. Jesus taught that everyone needed the new birth but him. He said, I've come to redeem you. You must be born again. I don't need to be born again. You must be born again, old Nicodemus, you wise old Pharisee. He taught salvation was coming for everybody but him because he was salvation and you can only say that when you're the redeemer and number four this is the one that I just love this is we we, sometimes we we read the scriptures and we think Jesus is this stained glass stoic who never had a sense of humor who was never sarcastic who never taunted people who never had a who never showed an angry side but we know all these things aren't true Jesus, our fourth proof, he was born of a virgin. Jesus challenged even his enemies to find a single sin in his life. He said, of which sin do you convict me of? He challenged them everywhere he went. Why are you doing this? What have you found wrong with me? Even Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with him. The best they could do, they killed him for making himself equal to God but he was. (laughs) They crucified him based on the merits of truth, but they could not crucify him for any sin because even his enemies who watched him with a fine-tooth comb could find no sin in this man's life. Even Judas said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. The man that walked with Jesus for three and a half years said, I find nothing wrong with him. The scriptures tell us, now hath the prince of this world come, and Jesus says, and he has found nothing in me. Not even Satan knew of something secret Judas couldn't see or Pontius Pilate couldn't find. Even the the God of this world, Satan, says, I've got nothing. 2 Corinthians tells us he knew no sin. Hebrews 4 says, in all points he was tempted like as we, yet without sin." Hebrews 7, 26 says he, he is holy, guileless, undefiled, and separated from sinners. Hebrews 9, 14 says through the eternal spirit, he offered himself without blemish, fault, or spot unto God. First Peter says by the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, even the blood of Christ. First Peter 2 says who, he who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And First John concludes by saying in him is no sin for he is righteous. Only a man born of a virgin successfully walking with his God, unlike the first Adam who failed to walk with his God, the second Adam came, had the same opportunity as the first Adam, no sin nature, walked and grew in favor and stature with grace, with God and man, and was able to fulfill the law and be our atoning sacrifice. Christ's familiarity with sin came not through his partaking of it, but through his constant defeat against it. He was acquainted with sin, not because he partook, but because he was always resisting it. He was familiar with the enemy, and he always won. So he understands our temptations, as Hebrew encourages us. He understands the feeling of it coming on, yet he resisted and beat it. This is what fitted him to be the deliverer. And because he was tempted in all points like as we, because he became very familiar with the battle, flesh fights against the constant barrage of sinful temptation, he is fit to be a merciful high priest forever. But it all started with this virgin birth. I want you to be fortified in your faith to know any doctrine we endeavor to believe as Christians has already been fought and proven for 2,000 years. Don't fall for some ding on Facebook or for some professor with a PhD that is worth nothing to his soul. We have not followed cunningly devised fables, but we have followed the word and the gospel of Jesus Christ delivered from the throne of God. Amen. And so be encouraged as we celebrate Christmas. It started with a virgin birth that ensured our Savior could taste death. He could taste temptation. He could taste the sufferings of mankind so he could be a merciful high priest. And now that we have this virgin birth that brought forth the Christ child that became the Savior, now Hebrews concludes by telling us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because we have not a high priest which cannot be uh, uh, tempted or tested or touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we yet without sin. Because he could and was tempted, we are commanded to come to him and find mercy and find grace. There's no reason to not draw near to Jesus. He understands our weakness. He understands our infirmity. He understands our shortcomings. And He promises to be a merciful high priest, but you must come to Him. That's, that's the promise that began in the garden, confirmed through Isaiah, fulfilled in Matthew and Luke, died on the cross and redeemed, resurrected for our justification. And that's why we're here today. It's quite hypocritical for people to celebrate Christmas today and tomorrow and deny the virgin birth. (laughs) If you don't believe it, you don't get the presents. (laughs) If you don't believe it, don't sing O Holy Night because it won't mean anything to you. Amen.